Welcome to the Meat and Poultry Podcast. This podcast is your online portal to hear from experts in the industry about the latest news, trends, technologies, and people in the world of meat and poultry processing. The Open Prairie Natural Meats brand brings the best in natural meats, and their team is dedicated to helping you find solutions. As a trusted supplier, you can count on consistency and flexibility. Their never-ever beef and pork come in various packaging formats, plus an expert team who knows your category and the customers. See why there's no better solution than the Open Prairie brand. Get in touch with a sales representative and visit openprairiemeats.com for more. For the Meat Poultry Podcast, I'm Ryan McCarthy, Digital Media Editor. With the highly pathogenic avian influenza cases coming down in the last few months in the U.S., we thought it was important to take an overall look at what happened with the virus at the beginning of 2022. We discussed HPAI with Matthew Kosey, a professor at North Carolina State's prestige Department of Poultry Science, who studies virology and immunology. Matthew details the impact wild birds had on many of the HPAI cases this year and how different states handled the virus. He also discusses the difficulties of figuring out where the virus was within the country and coordinating the needed details with the USDA and the local and state health officials. Matthew also explains some historical touch points for HPAI and how it helps dealing with all diseases in the poultry industry. Lastly, Matthew discusses what North Carolina State does to try to help with HPAI and his own background in infectious diseases. Take a listen. The, the first thing I wanted to, to look at, Matt, was kind of explain to our audience why uh, the highly pathogenic avian influenza virus, or HPAI, has had such an impact on poultry uh, especially in the first six months. I know it's kind of tampered down a little bit now in July or as we're speaking, but um, it's still it's still out there to some degree. Yeah, sure. Yeah, no, it's it's still kicking around. It hasn't gone away completely, but it's uh, certainly gratefully not what it was back uh, late winter, early spring uh, of this year. Um, you know, why... Is it was it worse this year than it has been in previous years? Uh, that's a great question that I don't know anybody really has a a good uh, answer to yet. The right now the odds-on favorite sort of explanation is something is happening with the virus and wild birds that maybe is making it easier to spread either between wild birds or it's being carried by more species of wild birds than it had been in the past. Um, you know, we've historically always just sort of referred to avian influenza as being something that migratory waterfowl carry. Um, but clearly it's, you know, there's a lot of migratory waterfowl and the devil's in the details. And I don't know that we've ever really had a good grasp on exactly which species or maybe even subspecies of migratory waterfowl were the you know the bulk of 
the reason for dis dissemination. Um, and, and this year, either a combination of more species carrying it, the strain they're carrying just being easier for them to spread to sort of local birds as they migrate through an area. Um, or I, I don't even know if, you know, perhaps this may be uh, tied somehow some way to, to climate change. And as the seasons, as, as things are warming up sooner, you're, we're getting different birds migrating at different times. And we may start seeing, you know, more wild bird populations coming together in different geographical areas more so now than they used to and, and providing more opportunity for, for spread among wild birds. And right now, we don't know. There's not that many places that have uh, the biosecurity infrastructure to work with these viruses. So there's only a handful of folks who can do those types of experiments. And in the middle of an outbreak, they're busy trying to otherwise track down positive farms and, and help producers and backyard growers and so on and so forth figure out where it is at the moment. And hopefully as stuff cools off and slows down, uh, more and more folks will be out there having time to to do research, try and figure out exactly what happened this year. So we'll be better at predicting when when years in the future may be more likely to have uh, these types of uh, high level events. Or because hopefully this isn't isn't a new norm, but uh, we've been seeing more more and more migratory birds carrying high path AI over the last. 10 years, um, but clearly this is this is one of the worst. I mean, 2015 was probably the last one uh, close to this. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. To 2015, is there anything similar to that time period that what you're seeing now? Is it worse than, than 2015? Kind of take us through that a little bit of the history of the last time that this spread like this. Sure. So I, you know, there... I don't know that they that they're uh, exact copies of each other. They, they they don't match, but they rhyme. Um, the that one was mostly isolated to the West Coast. On the East Coast, we didn't really. Um, I don't think we had any outbreaks uh, on the East Coast or east of the Mississippi, um, or at least certainly not in North Carolina or on the on all the way on the East Coast. Um, but it kind of followed a similar timeline of late December, early January, started to see reports of wild birds being found positive uh, with high path AI. A couple of backyard flocks here or there or small producers. Um, and then as we got into late January, February timeframe, started to see ones and twos of commercial flocks, again, mostly on the West Coast. Um, and then uh, as we really got into late winter, early spring is when stuff uh, hit the Midwest really hard. And I, I think we saw them actually probably more birds uh, destroyed and uh, depopulated in Iowa and Minnesota uh, in 2015. And I, I don't think we've 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 crossed that number this year, but I I, I could be wrong. Um, but clearly that outbreak again, around mid June is sort of, or it, it, yeah, I guess, uh, end of May, early June is when we really sort of started to get a handle on it. And then by the end of June, it was more or less gone. Um, the next fall, 
I don't remember there being any um, major outbreaks in commercial operations, but as the bird, you know, late winter, early spring, as all the birds moving from uh, down by the tropics up through back up to Canada. And then as we get back into fall, August, September, we're going to start seeing them move out of Canada and, and back to their, their winter nesting grounds down south. Um, so 2015, we saw, you know, not as many, but a few more wild bird cases sort of tick up in the fall and probably would expect something similar to be coming this fall as well. And hopefully, um, I think in 2015, after we got through the summer, I think folks, nobody let their guard down. And when those wild birds came back through, I think folks had figured out um, perhaps uh, how to work their biosecurity uh, to, to weather the storm in the fall. And again, maybe not as many birds were carrying it then. We don't, you know, again, we still don't really truly understand the ecology of how this thing moves for wild birds the way we should, um, given how how many years we've been looking at it. But it, it's it's a complicated virus that that, yeah. that changes uh, almost minute by minute. Um, and so, you know, so at twenty twenty two, fall may, you know, we, we may start to see it show up again in migratory birds, and actually even sort of kind of looking at, um, you know, the USDA numbers. Again, June and July haven't seen uh, a really big uptick in the numbers, but they're again they're still not gone, so it's still kicking around. And and if you, there's a, a birdcast website you get that sort of tracks migratory birds. Um, it wasn't designed for avian influenza; it was designed for birders to know when birds were different species were migrating when, and sort of to be out there to look at at peak bird migration. Um, but you, they sort of track when stuff's going and right now they're not really forecasting. There's not, not showing a lot of bird movement uh, during the summer, but they start their forecast again, August 1st um, in, in preparation of birds starting to move South again. So as those different species start to get on the move, we may start to see influenza moving with it. We will be right back after a short break. The Open Prairie Natural Meats brand is the better solution for all your natural meats needs. Whether you need sales boosting marketing solutions, expert advice, data driven consumer insights or more, the Open Prairie team has your back every step of the way. Not to mention in demand never ever beef and pork in both traditional boxed and case ready formats. Reach out to a sales representative and visit openprairiemeats.com for more. Matt, take us through a little bit uh, of some of the, the best practices of surveillance that you've seen and what you've observed dealing with high path uh, AI. And, uh, kind of what, what are the best practices that you see that people need to use a lot of times when they're moving it into commercial poultry to make sure it stays away? So I, on the commercial side, <clears throat> in many ways, um, uh, the surveillance is somewhat uh, dictated because um, avian influenza is uh, a serious enough disease. It's actually on a list of, of diseases of, of food animals that we have to demonstrate to our international trading partners that we don't have if we want to sell poultry products on the international market. And so... The USDA and all of the state, uh, you know, ag 
divisions or departments um, here in North Carolina. It's the North Carolina Department of Agriculture and uh, Cons Consumer Services. Every other state's got some other similar type of type of entity, and they've got a state veterinarian. And the state veterinarian, essentially, they're in charge of making sure that commercial birds are even influenza-free so that those birds and those products can otherwise be sold internationally. Um, so a, a lot of – so whether we've got bird flu kicking around and wild birds or not, um, every – Every flock of meat birds, as well as every flock of, of laying hens, are tested regularly to, to prove that they haven't been infected with any influ avian influenza. And we've got to sort of show those records when those uh, products sort of go to market. And so on the commercial side, there's always sort of routine surveillance going on to make sure that those birds are free of avian influenza. When, when we see wild birds in the area or the USGS or different sort of hunter reporting or, or submitting uh, ducks and geese and whatever else they, they may have shot to local game wardens for routine surveillance. We start seeing an uptick in avian influenza and wild bird populations in areas where we've got a lot of dense uh, commercial farms that commercial surveillance often gets kicked up a notch to, you know, if it's done on a per flock basis at different farms, different states will make different decisions, but things will otherwise sort of scale up in terms of, you know, they might start testing once a month, once a, once a week, just otherwise make sure that they can catch it as early as possible. And, you know, as part of that too, to, to try and make sure that we catch it early in as few commercial flocks and don't really give it the chance to spread from one barn to another. Once one barn is positive, sort of, the USDA and state ag agencies sort of swoop in and for all its purposes sort of dig a fire line around that infected farm and start doing really intensive surveillance of all the neighboring farms to make sure that they stay free of avian influenza and or otherwise depopulate the, as soon as they get any kind of indication that, um, that they might have it just to... Uh, stamp it out before it has a chance to get bigger than they than than they can actually control um it's it's sort of the and, and I, hopefully this doesn't sound like sort of blaming the the smaller producers in the backyarders because th that's not my intent but you know those folks certainly the ones who aren't growing for for international trade or, or you know growing for for hobby purposes they're not tested as uh or, or th there's not the need for the same level of testing for them so sure on that end sort of the best practices for those are you know one being aware of what might be going on in their area in terms of wild birds or and or other commercial flocks that might be positive, being aware of what the early warning signs or the the clinical signs are when a bird might have avian influenza. So as soon as they might see something or suspect something, they can call their county extension agent, they can call their state veterinarian, call the veterinarian that they use for uh, you know regular welfare and, and health checks on on their birds. And if somebody suspects, you know, if the county agent, if their veterinarian or or anybody they call suspects it, it is uh, avian influenza, then they will get in many ways the same uh, same treatment as a large uh, commercial operation with USDA and and state resources to sort of swoop in and, and help them deal with that as quickly as possible. Matt, from from your perspective or from the university's perspective at North Carolina State, kind of what what do you guys do to to help? in this situation and keep people informed about 
uh, High Path AI. So, um, I, we help out wherever, wherever we can, um, doing, obviously doing stuff like this. Um, and most of it's, uh, spearheaded by our, uh, county extension agents who are, you know, out in the field talking to both the big producers and hobbyist backyard producers, uh, and everybody in between letting them know what, um, what the threat level is at that particular time and place, letting them know what best practices might be, um, suggesting, you know, in certain areas or certain times of year, uh, last winter and early spring, you know, we were suggesting that folks who have free range or backyard birds find a play, find some way to bring them in in the evenings or otherwise keep them in indoors uh, or, or away from wild birds as much as possible, at least until the migratory wave had, had passed and sort of given them the information they can make informed decisions, what's best for, for their practice and operation. Um, you know, our department and I think our university in general has a really good working relationship with our department of ag and the veterinarians who work uh, for NCDA. And so either helping with getting the information out, helping actually participate in some of the response activities, I mean, maybe not necessarily be on the farm uh, when they're doing some of the depopulation and some of the other stuff, but certainly helping in other capacities um, with, with things along those lines. We've got a really good working relationship with most of the uh, producers, again, at, at different scales, the large integrators, as well as the, the, the small backyarders. Um, and so, you know, we've been working with them as, as best we can and sort of helping all the different groups figure out what, what their role is and trying to minimize everyone's risk collectively and then just keeping everybody informed so that we can respond as fast as possible when Mother Nature decides to throw us off a curveball. Matt, before I let you go, I, I wanted to get a little more background on yourself and just for my own curiosity. I, how did you get into working in poultry science and how it's kind of developed now where your your main focus is, is a lot of uh, infectious diseases? Sure. So, uh, I, yeah, I went to graduate school uh, longer ago than I like to count, um, uh, specifically to do uh, to, under, to study infectious diseases and, and uh, the immune response or how the animal responds and how the pathogen tries to get around what the, what the immune system's doing to, to, you know, the little war game that's going on between us and, and all the creepy crawlies that are trying to kill us. Um, and, you know, didn't really much, you know, I was more interested in how those two things came together as to what animal or what pathogen it was and uh, had an opportunity to work in a USDA lab that focused on on poultry diseases and uh, where they do a lot of the bird flu work. And uh, actually the disease I worked on was this new, at the time, newly emerging uh, viral disease of turkeys. And nobody knew what it was. It's still somewhat controversial of exactly what it was, more, more a complex of, of uh, multiple pathogens coming together to, to, to cause uh, severe diarrhea and mortality in, in young turkey poults. Um, but sort of cut my teeth on that. And um, after four-ish years doing that in grad school, had the opportunity to come to NC State and uh, start a faculty position here and start doing research, um, looking at different diseases and birds and you know whether it's flu or salmonella or different stuff along the way, trying to figure out what is this about uh, 
you know, certainly in the case of flu and salmonella, you know, these diseases that in the case of salmonella, at least the foodborne disease ones, you know, make us sick, but to a large extent, chickens don't care about salmonella the way we care about salmonella. Um, although there are strains of salmonella that will kill a chicken dead that do, don't do anything to humans. And so, you know, I'm interested in trying to figure out, you know, what's going on there and how do we, uh, how can we use that to develop better ways of controlling disease in both people and in animals? Matt, uh, last thing, have you, have you seen an interest, even though you're specifically working on the ag side of immunology a lot of time. Have you seen a, an interest and in uptick of, of more people after the pandemic of interested in what your work is doing and everything that you, you guys are doing, even though it's not related to specifically to COVID-19 or anything like that? I, I yes and no. I certainly, um, I, during the pandemic, um, there was a lot more interest and and people asking questions, you know, COVID sort of became the 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 gateway drug for them to ask other questions about other diseases and what and how that might happen in, in humans versus people, uh, or sorry, humans versus animals. Um, as even though the pandemic hasn't really gone away, um, we've largely just decided, I think culturally have decided it's gone. Um, so as people have sort of gotten burned down and tired of COVID. Um, and are trying to ignore it. Some of those, some of that curiosity and interest has has waned a little bit. Um, but certainly, uh, as graduate students or, or potential graduate students are applying to grad school, I'm seeing more and more folks uh, in my department, at least, with more of an interest in the disease side of stuff. I, I'm historically the only person in our department that does infectious diseases. Everybody else has been more management and nutrition and physiology. <clears throat> And as um, uh, COVID has made people more and more aware that, uh, that there are a lot of stuff out there and that a disease, you know, who would have thought besides a handful of infectious disease geeks like me, who would have thought that uh, a disease only of people would have had such a huge profound impact on the agricultural economy, you know, that farmers would be plowing under fields of, of cucumbers because of a respiratory disease in humans. And, you know, that's made a lot of people also aware of that, you know, a bird disease that does nothing to people um, can have ripple effects to the economy in ways that we don't otherwise really, most people don't otherwise appreciate. Um, and so the, the flu, bird flu and COVID sort of happening in these, you know, overlapping times has generated, uh, I think, a lot more awareness of how interconnected everything is and uh, how... Uh, we need to keep our eye on a lot more balls than, than people otherwise like to think. Make sure to check out the latest stories from the monthly print edition and online at meatpoultry.com. Also follow us on social media at Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram, all by searching at meatpoultry. And if you like what you heard, please leave us a rating and a review. It really helps us. All right, that's it for this time, folks. Thanks for listening and have a great day.